This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 135 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Haven't been here in a couple of weeks. Wanted to touch on a few uh, relevant points for Rutgers Athletics before we get into our, our guest uh, to talk about uh, Rutgers football and the Scarlet White game, which takes place this Friday night, April 22nd at 7 o'clock at SHI Stadium. We'll air live on BTN. But before we get to football, I want to touch on some of the spring sports. Lots of great stuff happening on the banks for Rutgers Athletics. Highlighted first by Rutgers Baseball, the hottest team in the country. A 15-game winning streak after a dramatic three-game uh, sweep of Indiana this past weekend. Three consecutive come-from-behind victories, trailing, uh, entering the eighth inning in all three games. Really just unbelievable performance from this team. Steve Owens uh, doing an amazing job in his third season. Rutgers coming in uh, atop the Big Ten standings, needed the sweep to stay in first place. They're currently half a game above Illinois. Friday, they were um, down 4-2 to two late when Evan Slight uh, had a uh, game-winning two-run single in the eighth inning to get that win. Dale Stanovich got his Big Ten leading eighth save on Saturday. Jordan Sweeney coming off the bench, had a base-clearing triple, uh, scored three runs in the eighth inning. Uh, with Rutgers trailing Indiana two to one, they won that four to two, and then really the one of the most wild games they've had uh, in, in quite some time. Playing Indiana on Sunday Easter Sunday at Batonfield, trailing eight to three in the fifth. Indiana hit a grand slam, and they continued to battle. Came all the way back, went into the ninth inning down nine to eight. Tony Santa Maria with a one out, uh, fouled off three uh, two strike pitches, and ended up hitting a, a home run to tie the game. And then two batters later. Jordan Sweeney once again came through with a solo blast on a full count, two outs, and Rutgers got the walk-off win to sweep the Hoosiers, win their 15th straight game. Uh, they've now won four consecutive Big Ten series to start the season, uh, and they have uh, a big week ahead. They host two non-conference, uh, excuse me, uh, they host Iona on Tuesday, who's having a really bad year. They're 1-29, and then they traveled uh, to Princeton. On Wednesday, a pretty local trip there. Princeton's having a really poor season as well. They're 4-24. and 24. And then a huge three-game set back at home uh, against Iowa uh, this coming weekend. Iowa's 20-12 and 12 overall, 6-3 and three in the Big Ten. Uh, definitely one of the better teams in the conference. So we'll have to see what happens there. Rutgers did enter uh, the polls last week at number 22 in the collegiate baseball newspaper rankings. They're not ranked in any other national poll yet. The uh, D1 baseball poll came out again this week on Monday morning, not ranked. Maryland is ranked, but, you know, a knock on Rutgers is their non-conference schedule. Um, their RPI is right around 30, which is still pretty solid, but they're not getting a lot of love from the national outlets. They're traditionally ranked the, the Southern teams quite a bit. You know, but Rutgers projected across the board, including by D1 Baseball, uh, to make the NCAA tournament right now, firmly in. Hopefully they continue uh, to, to play well. And obviously, listen, I mean, they're, they have a legitimate chance to win a Big Ten title, both in the regular season. And believe it or not, they've never actually played in the Big Ten tournament for baseball. They would have qualified last year in eighth place, but the tournament did not take place. So this year, obviously, they're, they're in great shape to qualify for the first time ever and certainly have a chance to win the Big Ten tournament for the first time ever. 
and qualify, get that automatic qualifier for the NCAA tournament. That being said, even if they don't, they're still in really good shape to make the NCAAs uh, for the first time since 2007. Moving on now to uh, two other sports on Saturday. I should mention all three ranked teams uh, winning, which is really huge. Women's lacrosse ranked number 13 on Saturday. They moved to number 14 today, but they beat a non-conference foe, San Diego State, 14-4. to this past uh, over a week or so, Terilyn Naslonsky, TT uh, graduate uh, senior, her fifth year in the program, uh, became the all-time points leader in program history. Quite an accomplishment. We had her on the podcast last spring to preview their first NCAA tournament game in which they won. So she's had quite a career having her best season uh, at Rutgers and uh, women's lacrosse doing really well, 12-3 and three now, and um, look to finish the regular season strong and are in good shape as well to qualify for an NCAA tournament for a second straight year. Then you have men's lacrosse. They clinched a second-place finish for a second consecutive year in the Big Ten with a, a also a dramatic win at Michigan. Uh, they were leading 11-6 to entering the fourth quarter, and then Michigan stormed back behind uh, just winning face-off after face-off, and uh, the Rutgers defense really got tired out, but they were able to survive. Ronan Jacoby had a hat-trick, his third goal coming with uh, just under four minutes to play to put them up 13-12, to proved to be the game winner. Huge win for Rutgers uh, men's lacrosse, 11-2 now, 3-1 and in the Big Ten. Their only losses now are to number one Maryland and number three Princeton. They're now ranked number four in the country for the polls that came out today. Obviously in very good shape as well uh, to make the NCAA tournament. So my bigger point here is, you know, athletic director Pat Hobbs has said for, for a long time that we're in the middle of writing the greatest chapter for Rutgers Athletics. And what happened Saturday with three ranked teams all winning in, in really good position to make the NCAA tournament on top of what's happened already this year, obviously with uh, women's soccer making the final four, winning the Big Ten regular season title, field hockey winning the Big Ten tournament, being ranked number one at one point, making the Elite Eight. We have men's basketball, you know, how to seem in the country for that stretch, making college basketball history with those four consecutive ranked wins. Uh, making the NCAA tournament for what should be the third consecutive year, if not for COVID. Uh, wrestling, two more All-Americans as well. Gymnastics was ranked this past year, had three qualifiers to NCAA regionals. You know, th there's so much success at Rutgers right now. I'm probably missing something. Rowing is, is ranked nationally right now. You know, there's been nine teams now ranked nationally this academic year. Heading back to what Hobbs always says, I mean, this is this is the new normal now at Rutgers. This is what he has said would happen. And um, we're really in the middle of it right now. A, a day like Saturday where all three ranked teams win, you know, to me was just an example of this is we're, we're here. I don't think, you know, Rutgers has even accomplished, you know, what they're capable of fully as an athletic department right now entering the spring director cup standings just came out. They're, they're currently a 43rd, which would be the best ever finish. You know, if it, they stay that way in the spring, the Rutgers has ever had 55th is the best they've ever done. You know, they still have some room to grow. They're, they're 10th in the big 10 in the director cup standings, which makes you realize how, how strong the big 10 really is um, with the success that Rutgers has had this year. And they're still only ranked 10th. So there's plenty of, of, of growth still there. But I think, you know, this is really the second consecutive year where Rutgers Athletics is having success across the board every season, multiple teams each season. And we're seeing it now in the spring with men's lacrosse, women's lacrosse and baseball. Track and field just actually set two school records this past weekend at the Larry Ellis invite. Billy Hill broke the uh, men's 1500 meter record. And Lou Miley uh, reset the women's 3000 meter steeplechase record. Uh, she's had the record before. 
So they're, they're setting uh, program records uh, week after week, both in indoor this past winter, now in the spring. So expect big things out of them this spring. Rowing, as I mentioned, finished number seven nationally and has a chance for another top 10 finish this year. So lots of great things here at On the Banks to follow. But to really get into uh, this coming weekend's big event um, from a football perspective, the annual spring game, this is really the first normal spring practice the program has had since Greg Schiano returned in December of uh, 2019. 2020 obviously was canceled due to COVID. 2021 was delayed because of COVID. They had an outbreak on the team. Uh, so they kind of had a uh, disjointed schedule and, and finished really late, finished in May. So this is the first traditional spring practice schedule that the program has had under Greg Schiano. And I think it's really important that's happening um, with so many, you know, starters from last year now gone, you know, four fifth year players that were with the program for a long time, no longer there. And a lot of younger players fighting for positions, fighting for minutes, fighting for, um, you know, depth chart. And, um, you know, they really need that development time. Obviously, a ton of position battles, a ton of changes on the coaching staff, you know, a lot, lot of things for this program to really kind of reset. Obviously, you know, five and eight record this past year, five and seven regular season, end up with that last minute bid to the Gator Bowl, perform admirably based on the eight day lead up time they had. But, you know, lots of questions about this program going in all, you know, positive in terms of where this program is from when Chiano took it over, but obviously a critical year three coming up for the program and to discuss the progress that this team is making this spring, as well as um, just in terms of the culture that exists and uh, what to look forward to uh, with so many newcomers on this team. Fortunate to have multi-year starting quarterback Noah Vedrill with us for this episode, and we welcome him in now. It's my pleasure to now welcome to the On the Banks podcast, Rutgers quarterback Noah Vedrill, multi-year starter, tremendous leader for this team the last two years. And really excited to have him here to talk about spring practice and uh, the spring game coming up. Noah, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, man. I'm glad to be here. Excited. So just wanted to start. Obviously, uh, this is your third year now in the program. This is actually the first spring practice. It's kind of been uh, normal, I guess you could say. The schedule uh, not taking place two years ago, last year delayed due to COVID. How has that gone so far and how is the kind of normalcy or the return to it helped the progress of this team this spring? Yeah, no, absolutely. The normalcy has been really, it's been nice for me having had multiple springs at this kind of timing before. It's been cool for it to just feel normal and like routine. And it's helped our guys a lot. I think it's a natural when you don't have to take a huge break or it doesn't happen at all. There's not this gap in learning where you're like, well, you're kind of working on things while you're weight training in the off season and you're meeting and you're discussing plans and plays and defenses. And being able to roll right into that really naturally, like the weights build up to the spring and lead right into it. Your body feels good. They get you all strong, but then recovered right before the start of spring. So it's helped us tremendously to hit it running. Like we picked things up very quickly um, and we've been competitive in practice very quickly and very early on. So this is obviously the third year with Sean Gleason as offensive coordinator and, and learning and, and playing in his system. Obviously your time in Nebraska, you know, how has your development gone over the years and how are you feeling this spring in terms of the progress you've made even since the end of last season? The third year has been a blessing. It's been awesome learning from Coach Gleason. Being three years in this now, like there's a lot of stuff that I feel really, really comfortable with, almost like the back of your hand type of stuff. And that gives me like the freedom and the kind of the, the brain space to move into some more defensive stuff, recognizing and trying to identify covers faster, blitzes faster, um, stuff like that. So that's an area that I've been really trying to focus on and improve over the last 
whatever a few months it's been since the end of the season. And it's been something that's been really fun to see come out during spring practice. So obviously, you know, one, one thing that I think seems to be a theme this spring is, is the competition level across the board with this team, um, you know, in all the different position groups, obviously a lot of new, um, new faces, uh, younger players having the opportunity to step up with a lot of veterans gone now. How has the overall competition level been? And is there anything that's kind of stuck out to you about the identity of this team, even though it's obviously early on in the process? Competition has definitely stepped up. It's been fun. It keeps practice very, like, very game-like. When jobs are on the line and you're competing with your teammates, I think there's a certain level of maturity. I know we're a young team. I think maybe some of the old guys that have been here know the competition and kind of have their way around it and have helped pass it on. But we're really, it's a very team-based competition where it's not so much I'm mad or I'm angry that my teammates make a play, but rather that like, I'm happy that you made a play. Now let me go make a better one kind of thing. And it's that I want to one-up my teammate, one-up the person I'm trying to go against that really drives the competition level upward. And I think that's something that I've seen in this team that we have a maturity to us, even as a young team, that we're able to cheer for our teammate, but then also still compete with them at the same time. So um, that's been something that's really cool this spring um, that I'm really proud of the guys for picking up and for the young guys picking up on really quick. So obviously, you know, a lot of intrigue with your position. You're being back now uh, after starting, you know, 20 games now over the last two seasons. Uh, Gavin Wimza, obviously, you know, in the room, Evan Simon, how has the camaraderie been there? And how has you now as, you know, a leader, obviously since you came to Rutgers, but just kind of bringing these younger guys along with you while also competing for, for you know, playing time? No, absolutely. And I'd, I'd like to think that I have a role in the maturity part of the team, being one of the older guys in the team. And I try to very much emphasize that in the quarterback room. I think for a quarterback room to be healthy, I mean, obviously only one guy gets to play and we're all competing our butts off for it. But it's still a we win together mentality and the best guy has to play. So I'm not withholding information from these guys. I'm encouraging them. I'm talking to them about every snap when they come off and I, they do the same for me. So it's a really big, like, I don't want to say like a hive mind, but like a coalition where we're trying to figure this out together so that we all have the best decisions. We all have the best pictures in our head going out on the field. Um, and make, making sure that like each one of us feels confident with the support and the system that we're in and, stuff like that. So especially with the young guys, I think they're both hitting the ground running. Everyone in the quarterback room has been playing well this spring. We've made big strides across the board. So um, we've been pretty happy about that. And we've had good relationships through the whole competition. And how has the offense kind of developed to progress under Gleason? Um, you know, obviously conceptually the same, but has it become a little bit more, I guess, developed or uh, in-depth versus the first year when he implemented it? Um, and now that you have obviously you in your third year, but also just working in Wimsat and, and Simon as well. Absolutely. I think it's cool. It gives us some, we get a lot of the creativity back when you're a new system and things are just barely getting off the ground and things are choppy like they were in COVID. You don't get a chance. I don't think as an offensive coordinator for coach to really dive deep down into like all the detail that he wants to. And now that we've had two seasons and a normal spring and a normal winter, like that creativity, the groundwork that you kind of have to lay the base knowledge, you got to have your guys know we're able to, we've been able to install that in people and they know it now. So now when we get to spring, as the installs go, we're not stumbling on installs one and two anymore. We're stumbling maybe here and there in the later installs and, and few and far between. So that gives coach a lot of confidence to bring up more complex, more detailed schemes and stuff. So it's been a really big tool for us. And I thought the young guys, obviously it's a little harder on them, but I thought they've done a good job hitting and running. And we've had some old guys who have been taking time to help them kind of like, here, this is how I did it. Let's see if this works for you. And taking a step back, how challenging was the whole process in December, having the team banquet, 
having the season over, finding out about the Gator Bowl. I think it was on eight days notice. You know, how was that whole experience for you? How was it for the team? And how has that helped kind of hit the ground running here in the spring? Yeah, the chop phrase, the chop mentality that we carry all the time was very much on display with an eight-day preparation for a bowl game. I mean, I was in Wahoo, Nebraska. I mean, I don't know if people know, I'm from a town of 4,000 people. There's not a lot going on. I was actually in Omaha for the time, so a little bit bigger city. But when we found out, it was like a, all right, we got to pivot like right now. Like we had to, I was working with ops teams getting flights. And I know there were some other guys who were at home who were out of state guys, a little easier for the guys in state, but getting back and those first two days were intense days before we went down to Florida. We were basically in the hail all day. We were making up for what was a month off with both physically and mentally. So um, a lot of fun, very intense, pretty tiring, but would never change a thing. And Obviously, we're super grateful and proud of the experience and the opportunity. And I mean, I don't know. I'm proud of the whole organization. I think Coach Shiano said, like, the fact that we were able to do that and people were willing to do that, that's that's very hard. Football's not meant to be played with that little notice with that much time off right before it. So proud of the guys, like proud of our coaches. I mean, they all poured in a ton of time. I mean, think about you're on spring break, you're on Christmas break, you're hanging out, Christmas coming up. You've probably like finally decompressed after a season and then boom, one week's notice. And you're like, Hey, oh, we got a game against a really talented Wake Forest team. Like uh, good luck. <laughs> I thought the coaches handled it really well. Our whole support staff. I mean, there's a lot of people who have to come back, not just players and coaches and everyone was willing to, and everyone gave it everything they had. So really special, really crazy, but something that obviously myself and everyone here will remember forever. And, you know, really your whole career at Rutgers and, and since Shiano has been back, I mean, you've constantly had to pivot you know, starting with, with COVID before you even arrived and then just having to be adaptable uh, to change like that. How has that helped you develop as a, a player and a person? And, you know, is there lessons learned or has that helped this team progress now that, you know, hopefully and, and seems like we're kind of back to some type of new normal? Like the chop mentality. I think I think Coach Giano is cool. He used to tell us all the time. He's like, there's no better place or environment to learn what chop is really about than in these uncertain times like COVID with bowl games being rescheduled with fans or no fans and mass or no mass and all that stuff. Like you don't really have control of that. And we spent a lot of time learning and him teaching us the idea of living in the moment, being present, being where your feet are, loving where your feet are. That's a lesson that like, I never really, maybe I had it to in a sense, like unknowingly, but one thing that like I've really become grateful for at Rutgers was the ability to just like to stop look at your surroundings, look at what you can control and what you can't, and then just go one step at a time, one action at a time. And I think that's what our program here does best, more like better than anyone in the country is that we take things literally one thing at a time, one moment at a time. We're not living in the future. We're not concerned with the past. If it was good, bad, indifferent, it's in the past. We're moving on to what's in front of us. Right now, this podcast is what's in front of me. I don't know what I got next, but we'll figure it out when we get there kind of thing. So that's a lesson that I will always carry on in my future in my family and my coaching career or whatever career I choose to pursue after that is just staying in the moment and operating just right there, not letting your mind drift, but just keeping it right there. So talking about that, the culture that's been built within the program, a lot of newcomers transfers, especially on the offensive side of the ball this spring, Sean Ryan and uh, Taj Harris, wide receivers. Uh, you know, you have a lot of veterans coming back too with um, Shameen Jones, Isaiah Washington, um, Aaron Cruikshank uh, off of injury. How has that group developed and, and how has that worked in terms of getting the quarterbacks, you know, in sync and kind of working out and meshing with 
that group? The cool thing is like, so they got here at semester back in uh, January. So we've been working with them through winter workouts, like quarterback, wide receiver, organized throwing sessions. We're able to kind of get a feel for just each other person, like how fast someone is, what their breaks look like, where their catch radius is, stuff like that. We're able to do that kind of on our own leading up to spring ball. So that when we get to spring ball, there's not this huge chasm of like, oh, I don't know how to throw this guy the ball. So luckily we were able to get all that out of the way and spring ball has been smooth and both of them have done well. Um, they've been working hard, picking up the offense best they can, and we'll continue down that road. And uh, just with the offensive line, you know, four, four transfers there on that group, uh, a lot of turnover. You do have a good amount of returnees too. How important is it for the quarterbacks to, to kind of get in sync with the offensive line during this spring camp? And is there any of the newcomers that have kind of jumped out to you uh, in terms of standing out and potential to make an impact next season? Yeah, absolutely. So like that relationship between quarterback and line is a really important one. There's a lot of trust that goes both ways there. So, I mean, you can think about it like in pass protection. I mean, their job is to block for the quarterback, whoever's back there right now, to give them time to push the ball down the field. But at the same time, they need the quarterback's help. And they can't always see the safeties. They can't always see the linebackers in the corners. They can't see the whole picture. It's tough. They're up close. There's a lot of people between them. So they rely on us to kind of be their extended eyes. And we rely for them for protection. So the cool part is, is in the spring, you're not really prepping for a team or a look any given week. So you get to work really hard on that area where you're like, hey, let's work together. This isn't a me and you doing two separate different things. Like the protection is both quarterback and offensive line driven. We're in this together, right? Like we got to get this sorted out. We got to get everybody on their assignments. We got to make sure we're all squared away where I know I'm hot, where our running backs, who they're having in protection, all that stuff. So it's been really cool. And they picked it up really, really well. And I think we're making a lot of strides week to week in that area, which is just it's kind of like compounding interest. Like you get one thing right now. I can count on you for that. We get another thing right now. I can count on you for both of those things. And that it like, it's almost like a snowball effect. And then all right, you make a mistake, but like we go about it in the right way. We talk it through, we make the correction, we get it right the next time. And the, the train continues. And honestly, all of the guys that we've brought in have done a really good job jumping in, diving in head first, buying into the culture, buying into practice, buying into the scheme. And all of them right now, have done really, really well, and we're excited about every single one of them. And just talking about more change, you know, obviously some uh, changes with the coaching staff as well, a little bit of a shakeup on the offensive side, more so on the defensive side, but how has that kind of helped things progress in terms of the culture and Shiano's vision and, and moving this program forward this in this year three? No, it's been really good. The changes we've made have been helpful, and I think they're for the best, and our guys have really bought in. I think that's the biggest thing, too, is like, I think when guys get a new coach, a new position coach, that's a pretty personal, like that's a relationship that you have with that coach. You spend more time with him than frankly you do with your families at this point of high school or of college. Like you have not, there's not really that many people you spend, maybe other than your roommates, you spend more time with than your position coach. So I think guys have done a good job. Like the players have been of welcoming new position coaches. I think that's really important. When people, sometimes you don't want to, you don't ever want to give a new coach the cold shoulder. You don't ever give them a chance. And I think our guys have done a really good job coming in with open hearts, open ears, and taking in each new position coach that's there has been changes, whether it's a swap, whether it's a new guy, whether it's whatever it is. It's been really cool to see guys just buy in and trust. Trust Coach Chiano that he's doing the right thing for the team and then trust in the position coaches that they have the player's best interest at heart. So it's been a positive so far. And just in terms of, you know, college athletics, obviously ever-changing with the new uh, name, image, and likeness that now exists. And, you know, you even had a deal in the fall. I wanted to ask, as a team leader, how has – I guess, how do you view it in terms of opportunity for everyone? But does it also maybe make things a little more complicated from a leadership perspective in terms of, you know, the, 
the culture in the locker room and making sure guys aren't jealous of one another? And, and how has that kind of evolved specifically with this team, um, with guys supporting each other, also just, you know, everyone kind of having the opportunity to, to benefit from it? NIL has been, it's been an interesting thing. I think it's for the benefit, for the better. I do think there's the potential for it to be a distraction, but I think that's where the maturity of a team and the openness and like kind of like the love that you have for your teammates comes into play because yes, some people might have more opportunities, but everyone has the opportunity. And I think the biggest thing is like keeping the main thing, the main thing. Coach Shiano says it all the time. We're here to get an education and to play college football. If you can make a couple extra bucks on the side, doing something for a business or a deal with somebody, that's great. We're happy for you. Absolutely. You should have the right to capitalize on that, but it should never take away from what your main goal is. And that's to be the best football player and the best student you can be. So I think we do a good job here at Rutgers, like sending that message out, encouraging people to be creative, to use their talents, to use their connections. But at the same time, like, Hey, we still have to do our job here. Like we're here to play football. We're here to go to class. Like we can't sacrifice the main thing for something that's supposed to be kind of a side thing. And I think everyone here, the guys we've had never read really any issues with NIL. Guys are just super supportive. Anytime someone gets something, we're happy for them. We're never, we really have never had any instances of jealousy. And I hope it stays that way because I mean, again, it's like your, it's like your family. I mean, I hope that you want to be able to rejoice in your teammates success. I think that's the best part of being teammates. I don't know if you can really claim to be a teammate until you're happy for someone else's success. So I think we have a lot of great teammates here and we're doing a really good job keeping the main thing, the main thing. So, Noah, I wanted to uh, shift gears a little bit and ask, just in terms of actually your time in Nebraska, not sure if everyone knows this, but you actually had a, a short stint with the Nebraska basketball team. I'm a huge Hoops fan, so wanted to ask you about how that came about and, and how that uh, stint uh, playing in the Big Ten tournament for Nebraska, what that whole experience was like. I got to play for Coach Horberg. He was cool, great dude, really good basketball coach. Um, but it came about, they had some shortages, they had some guys that wanted a red shirt, some injuries and stuff like that. And they just needed kind of like two emergency people. Like they needed guys who were willing to like, just who knew how to like catch a basketball, pass a basketball, maybe dribble, shoot a little bit, like just, you know, an emergency. So they asked uh, Coach Frost at the time for like, hey, can we just like your two of your best basketball players we're not planning on playing them, but we just, in case something like foul trouble were to happen, we need someone to be able to go in the game and spell a guy or buy time for us to get someone back into the game or in case we went below five players. So they're like, uh, yeah. And this was right before spring ball. And coach came to myself and to one of our young left tackles who had played a bunch of AAU basketball. I played, a, I played AAU basketball all the way through my, up to my senior year of high school. Cause I just love, I love playing basketball. I still do. And we got to go. We had like a crash course practice literally like for an hour before we got on the bus to go to Indianapolis. They handed us a playbook. I didn't realize the playbook in college basketball is actually big. It's <laughs> quite thick. And I remember being like, oh, man, my perception of what college basketball has changed a lot right now. There's a <laughs> lot of stuff to know. And I remember for like that whole plane ride, I was just like trying to memorize like the base ones. And I'm just like, oh, man, dude, these all look the same. And this is a lot different than a football playbook. And then we get to the hotel. It was cool. We did walk through in the hotel. The arena was cool. That was fun. I actually shot really well in warm up, so I was feeling good. I was like, hey, if I get in, I'm letting one fly. <laughs> we go on. We get to like three minutes. We're losing. They're kind of like coaches looked at us and said, you guys want to go in? And I think neither one of us even said anything. We were both just like, that's not real, right? That's a joke. And <laughs> they let us. They're like, no, nah, go check in. Like, come on. Like, so once last time, I just go check in. And we're like, uh, okay. So both of us get up, not knowing what we're doing. We go in. I remember the first thought I had was like, dude, these guys are tall. 
really tall. So we get in, I got one look at three, probably had so much adrenaline. I sent it long. I had one look at a floater, a little tough, like a little long there too. Um, my buddy had a chance at two free throws and we missed them both. So the football players went like over for the day, but we had some good memories. Like there's pictures of me in a college basketball uniform, which is still wild to this day, even for me who actually did it. Like, and they let us keep it. Like I have my game uniform, the practice uniform, all of it, the shoes. So it was a uh, wild, wild times and a memory that I'm really grateful. One coach Frost let me do and two that they asked, asked the football team for a couple of guys. And it's pretty cool. You did it against Indiana in the big 10 tournament too. Yeah, no, that was, we played, I think there was some weird fact. Cause it was right before the break of COVID. I think we played in like the last big 10 event. Yeah. Until I think maybe we played a Michigan state Rutgers did. I can't remember, but I was some weird fact. Like I played in the last one and the first one and, or something like or something close to it. And I remember being like, that's kind of weird. That's a long time for a, pandemic to shut things down yeah well it's funny as you were talking about that game I, I remember watching that game and it was that night that kind of everything started to change Stop. and we realized wow and then Rutgers actually was set to play noon the next day and mm-hmm. they went on the court for warm-ups and then they got pulled off and that was it so yeah uh that's that's wow you, you've been you've been involved in some interesting uh interesting stuff for sure it's been a weird college career I'm not gonna lie <laughs> got, I need to like write a book to memorize it all <laughs> a couple more for you. No, I uh, just wanted to ask in terms of uh, the spring game coming up here on uh, April 22nd, Friday night, how excited is the team to be able to play in front of the fans and um, anything in particular you want to say to the fans in terms of coming out for, for that game? Yeah, no, we're super excited. I mean, practice is practice. We love practicing, but like it's not a game. So when we're practicing each other all day, every day, and you don't get a tackle and scrimmages are fun, but scrimmages in front of nobody aren't quite as fun as a scrimmage in front of your fans and your friends and stuff and your family. So we're super excited. We hope like my message to the fans would be, if you've got nothing to do, please come out. Like it's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. There's a lot of new faces, a lot of stuff to see. We're getting better each week. So if I'm a Rutgers fan right now, I'm feeling really excited and we want to see you guys out there. And last question for you, just in terms of, of what you ultimately get out of this spring, getting into, you know, summer workouts, heading into training camp. What's the most important thing for this team and for yourself in terms of taking that next step heading into next season? Absolutely. I think mastery of scheme, new guys, we continue to make strides down that road will be great. And then we're going to be a special team in that sense. And then for myself, again, just continuing to I think leadership is one thing that's never actually finished. So continuing to find ways to reach people that maybe I haven't quite reached yet and been able to bring them along and still them some wisdom, some stuff that I've learned and help them help this team. So I'd say for myself is continuing to build a leadership role um, and further that even further into this year. This is my last year. So whatever I give to these guys is what I got here at Rutgers. So making sure I leave nothing on the table. Well, for your career, you're already uh, ninth in program history with 316 completions, uh, only the 12th quarterback in program history to throw for over 3,000 yards in career. Can't measure toughness, but one of the toughest players in program history as well. Noah Vedral, thanks so much for your time and best of luck this spring, the rest of the way, and uh, heading into next season. Thanks, Aaron. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much to Noah Vedral for joining us. I had a lot of fun talking to him about Rutgers football and just getting him his insight on the current state of the program, the progress made this spring, get his perspective. I thought his perspective on the NIL was really interesting. And, you know, anyone that you talk to about the uh, within the program just raves about Noah as a leader and setting the right example and, and what he's done for this team. I understand, you know, fans have that there's criticism of his play on the field uh, the past two years. We know his limitations at this point. 
Um, but there's no doubting um, the progress that this program has made has been in part to having stability with Noah Vetchel there under center, you know, and where he ranks within the program. And, you know, in terms of uh, our throwing over 3,000 yards, just one of 12 quarterbacks to do that, you know, uh, ninth in completions. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to forget, but um, for many years uh, towards the end of the, uh, you know, after, after Gary Nova, we haven't had a quarterback that's provided as consistent or uh, stable play as Noah Vedrill has. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this coming year with obviously Gavin Wimsat and Vedrill. You know, are they going to split time? Is uh, Wimsat ultimately going to take over? Is, is Vedrill going to outlast the youngster? We'll have to see. But, you know, it's uh, as a Rutgers fan, I think it's pretty hard not to root for Noah Vedrill. And uh, it was really great to have him on. Make sure you check out the spring game. We'll have full coverage here at On the Banks. Um, again, you can attend. It's free. Friday night, 7 p.m. Uh, at SHI Stadium. We'll also air live on BTN. We'll have full analysis here on the banks. You can continue to follow us uh, for all Rutgers Athletics coverage at On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. We're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and we'll be back soon here at On the Banks. Follow On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. And subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.